Heavenly Father, we recognise that you have been good, so good to your servants. And so we have life because of your goodness towards us. But Lord, we come before you and ask that you would be merciful to us yet more and send the Holy Spirit to help us as we obey your word with the life that you have given us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue our series in the book of Philippians and this book has been uh, one that has encouraged the church in Philippi, the Apostle Paul has encouraged the church in Philippi to be unified. Again and again he's been stressing the importance of unity and giving different uh, ways of expressing that to the people in Philippi. Uh, he has of course held up the example of the Lord Jesus Christ as one who was humble and brought great unity uh, to the church and so then we need to be humble as well in order to bring unity to others. And he started to, last week we saw, started to give examples of people who bring unity as well, who we should be unified with and one of those was Timothy and so last week we looked at Timothy who's mentioned in verse 19 of chapter 2 down to verse 24 and we looked at how Timothy is a good example of one who thinks of the interests of Christ Jesus which of course then means he thinks of the interests of the the people of God he's interested in the people of God and this week we are now going to look at this other person who is mentioned by the Apostle Paul and that is Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is commended to the church in Philippi and he encourages, the Apostle Paul encourages the church to be unified with Epaphroditus in these verses from verse 25 down to verse 30. And you may be asking, who is this person, Epaphroditus? Well, he was a member of the church in Philippi, and he was actually sent to help Paul. And we see this in verse 25. Verse 25, uh, the Apostle Paul writes, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. So he was a member of the church in Philippi, but the church in Philippi had then sent Epaphroditus to Paul to help him in whatever way he could, but also to particularly deliver some gifts uh, to the Apostle Paul. And we actually see that in chapter 4, verse 18. If you flip with me over the page, uh, chapter 4, verse 18, where the Apostle Paul says to the church in Philippi, I've received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So obviously, probably taken monetary uh, gifts to the Apostle Paul and supplied some of his needs. And the Apostle Paul also mentions the fact that Epaphroditus was ill. Uh, while he was with the Apostle Paul, he felt ill. And we see that in verse 26. Look with me back at Philippians chapter 2, verse 26. It says, for he, that's Epaphroditus, longs for all of you, that's the church in Philippi, and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. And in verse 30, we read that he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that the Philippians could not give to the Apostle Paul. Now, how do we understand that the Apostle Paul, how do we know that the Apostle Paul wants to encourage unity between Epaphroditus 
and the Philippian church. I mean, he's been speaking a lot about unity in the church, that we need to stand firm as one man, as in chapter 1, verse 27 says, and I, I want you to know that you should stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. And so unity has been encouraged all the way down to uh, verse 25 of chapter 2. But is the Apostle Paul wanting to encourage unity with, the Apost- uh, with Epaphroditus? Well, we can see that he is wanting them to unite with Epaphroditus by, firstly, the glowing terms by which he describes Epaphroditus. As he writes to the church in Philippi, how does he describe Epaphroditus? What terms does he use? Well, look with me at verse 25. Verse 25, but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. He wants them to remember who Epaphroditus is and to in, enjoy remembering what he, uh, what he has done. He is a brother in the Lord. He is a worker. He is a soldier. He is a messenger of the Lord. And he is someone who has ministered to the needs of the Apostle Paul. And so he's using these terms which commend the, the man Epaphroditus to the church in Philippi. And it's not only that he calls uh, Epaphroditus a worker or a soldier. Did you notice the, uh, the adjective that's put between the word work, before the word worker and before the word soldier? And it's emphasised uh, by the use of the, a particular Greek word. Uh, verse 25, it says, a fellow worker and fellow soldier. Basically emphasising that Epaphroditus is on almost equal terms with the Apostle Paul. He's not just another worker or another soldier. He's a fellow worker with the Apostle Paul. He's a fellow soldier with the Apostle Paul as he is a soldier. So we see by these glowing terms that are used of the man Epaphroditus that the Apostle Paul is encouraging them to unify with him as he returns. But how else do we understand that he's encouraging unity between Epaphroditus and this church, the church in Philippi? Well, he speaks about the love that they have for one another. He takes up a number of verses within his letter to speak of the love that everybody has for each other. Firstly, we read of the love that Epaphroditus had for the Philippians. Verse 26, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Obviously, Epaphroditus loves the church in Philippi. And then in verse 27, uh, the Apostle Paul points out the love that he, Paul, has for Epaphroditus. Verse 27, indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. The Apostle Paul obviously loves this man or otherwise he wouldn't have been that upset at the thought of him dying. The Apostle Paul is very thankful that Epaphroditus was spared and so that he could continue to enjoy his fellowship. And the love that the Philippians had for the Epaphroditus is also emphasised in verse 28. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Obviously, there's a concern within the church, a love within the church for Epaphroditus, particularly when they heard that he was unwell. And, of course, we read of the love that Epaphroditus had for Paul uh, in verse 30 by the fact that he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help that the church in Philippi could not give Paul. And so Paul has taken a number of verses here to emphasise the love that everybody has for each other, the love that Epaphroditus has for the Philippians, that Paul has for Epaphroditus, that the Philippians have for Epaphroditus, and that Epaphroditus has for Paul. So, of course, Epaphroditus is someone that you want to unite with. But how else is unity encouraged? 
Well, the Apostle Paul encourages unity with Epaphroditus very specifically in verse 29 by giving instructions as to how the church is meant to welcome Epaphroditus back. Verse 29, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour men like him. They're meant to receive him back as one who is in the Lord, recognising the union with Christ that Epaphroditus has, that he is not just any person, he is a brother in the Lord, and so welcome him back as such, and with great joy. The word great can also be translated as all joy. Not just get a little bit joyful, but welcome him back with all joy, and also honour men like him. You're meant to show honour to Epaphroditus. And so, of course, if this is the way that they welcome him back, of course they would be uniting with him. You don't, uh, you don't reject someone that you're welcoming in the Lord with great joy and honouring. And this is what should happen to someone who has been righteous, who has lived a righteous life and served well. We read Proverbs 21 before, and verse 21 says, He who pursues righteousness and love finds life, prosperity and honour. This is what should come to someone. If they have been serving well, if they have been pursuing righteousness, as we see Epaphroditus has been, then he should be recognised as one who receives honour. Now, why would the Apostle Paul need to encourage the church in Philippi to welcome Epaphroditus home in this way? Why would he need to encourage unity between Epaphroditus and the church in Philippi? After all, don't they all love each other? Is it necessary? to hammer on about unity, particularly when he's done so for so many verses, starting back in chapter, 20, uh, chapter 1, all through chapter 2, and down here to, uh, to Epaphroditus in chapter 2. Well, we know that the Apostle Paul has to encourage unity because the sinful heart loves to reject others. The flesh loves to divide off from others, and disunity creeps up on us all. And so that's why the, the Apostle is encouraging the church in Philippi to be more and more united, because not because the church in Philippi is such a bad church. I mean, he's, this is one of the more joyful letters of the Apostle Paul, compared to some churches that the Apostle Paul has to deal with. You think of the church in Corinth, the churches in Galatia. Uh, he has to speak very bluntly to them, whereas he doesn't speak in that way to the church in Philippi. But he still has to encourage them to be united. Why? Because... There's a part of us that's always wanting to reject others, that's always wanting to slander and gossip about others and to think badly of others, to not humble ourselves. But why does he need to specifically commend Epaphroditus to this church when, after all, he's a member of theirs? Isn't Epaphroditus beyond criticism? Well... Isn't it possible that Epaphroditus could have received specific criticism specifically because of what he was doing? Like what? Well, couldn't Epaphroditus have been criticised for being away too long? He was sent to help the Apostle Paul. And wouldn't there be some people in the church who think, oh, you've been away too long, Epaphroditus. Weren't you just meant to drop off some gifts and come back? We've had needs back here at Philippi and you haven't been in here to meet those needs. What did you do with your time, Epaphroditus? You seem to be gone a long time. And then, at the other end of the spectrum, couldn't there be people who would be criticising Epaphroditus for being away not long enough? Seems like you're just back. Weren't you meant to be away for a longer period of time? Weren't you meant to stay with the Apostle Paul and help him as much as you could? Is it possible you didn't get on with the Apostle Paul? And so you actually come back because... He couldn't deal with you anymore. 
what happened with the Apostle Paul? Was there something going on there? And so he sent you away early. Were you really sick, Epaphroditus? Were you really sick? Why did you get sick? What did you fail to do? Did you not isolate as you should have from those who are unwell? Couldn't people have been critical of him because he even got sick? Or maybe he was simply homesick. He wasn't really unwell. He was simply homesick. He couldn't endure. He couldn't persevere with the missionary task that was given to him. And so he came home with his tail between his legs. Or maybe even worse, people might start to say, didn't Epaphroditus deliver that money? Maybe the fact that he was away so quickly, uh, he's, he's been back so quickly, is because he actually spent all the money and ran out of cash, and he never actually made it to the Apostle Paul. He wasted the money. And then, of course, there'd be some people in the church who were looking at the description of Timothy there and looking at Epaphroditus and saying, well... The Apostle Paul was going to send Timothy, but he's keeping Timothy for now, and instead he's sending Epaphroditus back. And let's face it, when Timothy was here for the planting of this church, we really liked Timothy's preaching. We really liked Timothy being amongst us. Epaphroditus, yeah, he's all right, but it was nice to send him away to the Apostle Paul. Wouldn't it be better to have Timothy back instead? And so they criticised the fact that he's just not a Timothy, and we'd rather have Timothy back with us. Don't we know from experience that those who are serving in ministry are often the lightning rods for attacks when disunity erupts in a church, when disunity is building? Epaphroditus is one of these people who could be damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. Damned if he stays with the Apostle Paul and damned if he doesn't stay with the Apostle Paul. There would always be someone unhappy. And don't we know from experience that that can be the case? That... Ministers are often the like, not lightning rods that attract the attacks, the criticisms of people who are disunified within a church. When we consider lightning, it is a good illustration, I think, for how ministers are often attacked within a church. How does lightning strike? Well, I did some Googling this week and I learned that the way that lightning uh, strikes is that you've got your cloud and you've got a lot of positive energy at the top of the cloud and then you've got a lot of negative energy at the bottom of the cloud, and so you've got this disunity that's happening within the cloud, that everything isn't intermingled as it should be, and so you've got all this positive energy, you've got all this negative energy, and then eventually it builds to such a point that the positive energy strikes down, at, it, it wants to earth itself on the largest object nearby, and of course, what does it strike? Well, it strikes on the thing that usually is closest to it, uh, closest to it, whether it be a tree, whether it be a building, whether it be a lightning rod that's been erected is specifically for that purpose to attract the lightning to it. Now, how does disunity in the church behave in a similar way to lightning? Well, when the negative and positive energy is not dispersed evenly, as someone becomes increasingly unsettled and disunified in heart, or maybe it's even a group of people, what happens? Well, eventually all that pent-up energy, it strikes out and attacks a particular point within the church. And what is the particular point that is usually the focus of that negative energy? Well, in the cloud, actually, it's positive energy that strikes the earth. But what's the, all that energy that's pent up because of disunity, what does it strike within the church? Well, it's often the highest points in the church that it goes for. And what are those highest points in the church? 
well, it's the workers, the soldiers, the messengers, the ministers, just like we see with Epaphroditus. He's a worker, he's a soldier, he's a messenger, he's a minister. And why does lightning strike out at them? Why do people attack, criticise such people? Well, it's because they're the people that are actually doing something, that they're off the couch doing something. And so, therefore, they're the people that are open to criticism because they're actually doing something, or they're at least in the role where they should be doing something. So, therefore... We look around, and if we're unhappy in the church, we go after those who have particular roles within the church. And they're damned if they do, and they're damned if they don't. What they do is criticised, and if they don't do, well, they've got the role, they should be doing it. And so there's always someone to be saying that the person should be doing more than he actually is. And it's not just full-time pastors who attract such criticism. Who else? Well, it's anyone doing the Spirit's work within the church is then prominent for attack from disunity. Yes, I'm not immune from criticism. And I have been criticised over the years, been accused of heresy, not welcomed in the Lord as a brother. I have been not received with joy by some at different times, and I have been dishonoured. I have not been received with honour as the Apostle Paul encourages the church in Philippi to receive Epaphroditus. But all of us should be like Epaphroditus. Aren't we all supposed to be brothers? Isn't this, look with me at verse uh, 25 and see the words that are used there to describe Epaphroditus. Shouldn't they be used of everyone? Epaphroditus is described as a brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, who also is your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Uh, that last bit, who, whom you sent to take care of my needs, can be, uh, the word is, behind that is a minister someone who ministers to the needs of others. Aren't these words that are used to describe anyone in the church? Everybody's meant to be a brother. Everyone's meant to be a worker to do the work of the Lord. Everyone's meant to be a soldier, put on the armour of God. Everyone is meant to be a messenger, taking the message of salvation and encouraging people with the word of God. And everyone is meant to be ministering to the needs of others. And if you've served then the Lord for any length of time, as a worker, as a soldier, as a messenger, as a minister ministering to the needs of others, then haven't you felt the stinging criticism from someone else? That you're not treated as the way the Apostle, uh, the Apostle Paul wanted Epaphroditus to be treated. You're not welcomed in the Lord with great joy and honoured, as we see in verse 29. Isn't it the case that if we stick up our hand and actually do something, lightning from disunity wants to strike that hand that is raised to help others? Now, what do we do then if we are attacked, if we're not welcomed with joy and honoured in our work, but attacked instead by those who are unhappy, who are disunified within the church? Well, one of the things that we should do is receive the encouragement that others give to us. Receive the unity and the love that the Apostle Paul is recommending that the church show towards Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus should receive that love and encouragement, and that's what we should do as well. As we work, as we soldier, as we deliver a message, as we minister to the needs of others, we should welcome the encouragement, the love, the unity that others do show us. God gives us Apostle Paul's and Philippians to encourage us just as he did with Epaphroditus. There are people around us, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are there to encourage us, and they often do encourage us in our labours. They do unite with us. It still happens today. 
Yes, many have always welcomed me in the Lord. Many have welcomed me with all joy, great joy. Many have welcomed me with honour for the work that I do for the Lord. And it continues. Ever since I came, people have welcomed me and honoured me and been joyful around me because of the work that the Lord is doing through me. And it continues, even this week. Unsolicited by me, someone kindly wrote to me. I'll share this with you. It was a great encouragement to me when it came uh, to me via email. And person said, if you truly understand what we came from and what we heard week in, week out, you would know how needed your preaching is, how refreshing it is each week and how convicting it is. Not only your preaching, but the way you look after the flock of Dremoyne and the way you love your family. We have never seen this from a pastor in another church. I pray that you be encouraged as you have continually encouraged us. It's unsolicited by me, but I get encouragements like this from you regularly. And some of you send them to me via email. Some of them you tell me regularly at the door, regularly in person when we have contact with one another. And you encourage me. And what am I supposed to do with that? I'm supposed to receive it and be encouraged. Just like Epaphroditus was supposed to receive the encouragement and not say, no, 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 no. The Apostle Paul wrote that, but it's not, no, no, don't do that. No, he's meant to receive the encouragement. None of us are bulletproof. And so none of us should think that we don't need the Spirit's encouragement through his people. God has placed his people around us to encourage us. Now, I'm certainly not above criticism. Of course, there are things about my ministry that I'm very critical of, particularly when I become aware of them, that I shouldn't have done or I should have done. And you can criticise my ministry. I'm not saying that you can't. Particularly if you see something that I'm doing that is not in accordance with God's word. But I'm also not above encouragement either. And nor are you in your service for the Lord. You need encouragement as well to keep going because there are attacks coming from the evil one. As people are disunified in the, in the church, that is Satan at work dis- creating seeds of sedition, and that then means lightning bolts strike out at you as you serve within the church. And so you should welcome encouragement as Epaphroditus welcomed Paul's. Now, how do we know Epaphroditus welcomed Paul's? Well, he delivered the letter. He didn't cut this bit out. He was the one that went back with the letter. And so he didn't cut this bit out. It's been preserved for 2,000 years so that we can read it today. And so we need to keep the encouragement up as well as we give it to one another, but also to receive it. Of course, we don't become proud. We recognise what the Apostle Paul has already said uh, back in verse 12 of chapter 2, that, uh, no, verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It is God who does the work. It is God who does the soldiering. It is God who does the delivering of a message. It is God who does the ministering within us. But we also need to give glory to God and be encouraged to keep on working despite the lightning strikes of those in the church who will attack us. So first thing we need to do as we feel that we're not being welcomed as we should is to receive the welcome that people do give us. Don't just focus on the negatives. Look at the positives that are there. It's very easy to get caught up with all the criticisms and not remember all the encouragements that many are giving you. But of course, what else should we do? Well, we should receive the welcome, the unity that Christ always gives us. How does Christ receive those who welcome him into their lives? If we have welcomed Jesus in the Lord, if we have welcomed him with all joy, if we have honoured Jesus 
and welcome him into our life, what does he do? Well, he welcomes us in the Lord. He welcomes us with all joy. He welcomes us with honour. What does Scriven's old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, say in the last verse? It says, Do thy friends despise, forsake thee. Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. As your friends despise and forsake thee, go to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou shalt find a solace there. And that's what we should do. But you may say, but how do I know that Christ welcomes me with joy and with honour? Well, we know that the Lord Jesus loves us and welcomes us because he has borne the worst of the lightning strikes known to man. Epaphroditus is really just a shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ. How so? Well, Christ is a brother, a fellow worker, a messenger, a, a brother, a worker, a soldier, a messenger, and a minister of needs. And Jesus didn't almost die for the work of the Lord. He did die for the work of the Lord. Epaphroditus is described in verse 30 as almost died for the work of Christ, but the Lord Jesus did die for the work of Christ. Now, why did Jesus die? Because he wasn't welcomed as a brother by his own people. His own family didn't welcome him as a brother. They didn't welcome him as a worker, a soldier, a messenger, a minister of needs. Many so-called religious people damned Jesus if he did and damned him if he didn't. Whatever he did, it was wrong. They were critical of him. And so the death that Jesus died was not from illness. It was from violent attacks of disunified religious people. And not only that, Jesus bore what at the cross? He bore the lightning strike of God's wrath on our disunity with God. We all deserve to have God strike us. Why? Well, it's because we've been so negative, disunified with God. We have not welcomed him as the Lord. We have not welcomed him with all joy. And we have not welcomed him with honour as we should. So what does that mean? Well, a dark cloud of God's wrath hangs over us, ready to strike with lightning on Judgment Day. But what has happened? Jesus has been lifted up as the greatest lightning rod in the history of man, lifted up from the earth at the cross. And then he was struck with the full blast of God's wrath. Why? Well... He was rejected by God for our rejection of God. He was not welcomed with joy and honour at the cross. Instead, he was welcomed with wrath. He was not welcomed at all. He was received with wrath at the cross. Of course, there is the, Lord and the, the Father is pleased with the Son as he becomes a guilt offering, but he is placing his wrath upon him at the cross as a lightning rod attracts the lightning, so that others are saved. So the building is saved. That's why they put a lightning rod on a building, is so that the building is saved, but the lightning rod bears the bolt of lightning from heaven. And that is what the Lord Jesus has done. So if we know that Christ was our lightning rod, 
Should we then doubt that Jesus welcomes us with all joy and honours us as brothers, workers, soldiers, messengers and ministers if we come to him? As we welcome him, of course he welcomes us. As we are down and unhappy about criticism that may have come our way, as attacks have come our way, we can go to him and know he welcomes us because he has taken the lightning bolt that we deserve. So, of course, he loves us. Proof of his love is shown by his bearing the wrath that we deserve. And Jesus knows what it is to be rejected himself. So he loves to show love to those who are rejected because of him, because they're workers and soldiers and messengers and ministers in his kingdom and his brothers. Of course, he loves to show love to them. And as we receive Christ's welcome, what happens? Well, of course, we start to welcome his body. What's that? The church. Don't we welcome in the Lord with all joy and honour every Epaphroditus that comes our way if we know the welcome that we received in Christ? Because we recognise that every Epaphroditus that we meet is a little Christ. And of course, we welcome them into our lives. Rather than criticising them, we welcome them with joy, and honour because they are representatives of Christ on earth. And we love Christ because he loves us. And so the love that he has for us means that we love the Epaphroditus that he sends our way. And so we keep on working and we start working. We keep on working despite the attacks that come from disunified people, despite the lightning bolts that keep on hitting us at different times as people are disunified within the church and maybe without the, outside the church. We keep on working because, after all, the blast that we deserve for our sin is absorbed in that great lightning rod, Jesus Christ, at the cross. So the attacks that people make upon us are what? Well, they're just small tingles of the lightning that we do deserve, of that great blast of lightning that was felt by the greatest lightning rod ever. And so, of course, we can endure whatever criticism comes our way, whatever situation arises and someone does not welcome us as a brother in the Lord. They do not welcome us with all joy and they do not welcome us with honour. We can put up with it because we are not be being treated as our sins deserve because Christ has taken the great bolt of lightning. We can put up with any little tingle that comes down the lightning rod and hits us. But I must emphasise that these promises, the welcome of the Lord Jesus Christ with all joy and honour, is not for all. If you're an unbeliever, if you do not trust in Jesus Christ, do you realise that Christ does not welcome you? If you have not welcomed Jesus in the Lord with joy and honour, what does that mean? Of course, Jesus will not welcome you with all joy and honour. Because you have rejected him. Jesus will reject you as you have rejected him. And what will happen? The lightning of God's wrath will descend from heaven on your proud self one day. Jesus is not erected there to take the bolt of lightning for you. You will stand up and the bolt of lightning will hit you with its full force on judgment day. You'll attract far worse lightning than you've ever avoided by not being a worker, a soldier, a messenger, a minister to others. You've sat on, your on the couch 
and not done anything and you've avoided all the criticism because, of course, people don't criticise you if, if you're not a worker, if you're not a messenger, if you're a soldier and you stay out of the public eye and you do nothing with yourself, of course no one's going to criticise you because they don't even know you exist to criticise you. And so you've avoided all that criticism over the years. Well, then there's a criticism that's coming for you. It's a criticism from God. And it's far worse than any criticism you could have been given in this world by another fellow creature. Or you could have given yourself to a fellow creature. May it not be. Come to Christ now. Welcome Jesus in the Lord with all joy and honour. Welcome Jesus as a brother, as a worker, as a soldier, as a messenger, as a minister for your needs, as the great Epaphroditus. He is willing to serve you by bearing the bolt of lightning that you deserve and then ministering to your needs now and for all eternity. Welcome Jesus. And believe that he didn't almost lose his life for you. He did lose his life for you. He didn't almost die. He did die in your place. Bearing the wrath that you deserve. So that you could go free. And then as you welcome the Lord Jesus into your life, what will happen? Well, you'll start serving. You'll start working. You'll start soldiering. You'll start delivering messages from the Lord. You'll start ministering to the needs of others. And you also start doing what the Apostle Paul wanted the church in Philippi to do with Epaphroditus. You'll start welcoming other Christians with joy, all joy. You'll welcome them as brothers with all joy and with honour because you love them. As Christ has loved you, you love them as little Christ's that God has sent into your life to work for you, to minister to your needs, to deliver messages from God to you, to be a brother or a sister to you, of course you will welcome them into your life because you have welcomed Christ into your life. Let's come to Jesus in prayer now. Let's speak to him now. Lord Jesus, we praise you as the God of love and we thank you for welcoming us with all joy and honour and for giving us proof of your love by being struck with God's wrath for our rejection of him. Oh Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for our disunity. Our sinful flesh loves to encourage us to reject one another. We ask that you would forgive us and help us to receive encouragement from each other and to give encouragement. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to keep working for your glory that we would love to be soldiers in your kingdom, that we'd love to be your messengers and your ministers, ministering to one another's needs. And Lord, if there is anyone here who has not welcomed you, may they do so now. May they no longer reject you, but may they accept you, welcoming you into their lives and experience the joy of having you as a brother, a worker, a soldier, a messenger, a minister in their life. We pray this in your name. Amen.